Hi, I'm Benita Croyle, and welcome back to another episode of Holding It Together. For those of you who are new to listening to Holding It Together, our theme for this season is Bodies Holding It Together. So over the course of the next few episodes, we will explore what it is to journey with our bodies and what it can mean to hold, care for, and know our bodies in all the ways that our bodies show up. In this season of pandemic, many of us may know what it is like to carry deep pain, grief, sadness, and exhaustion in our bodies. Some of y'all may know trauma or what it is like to bear witness to death. And some of y'all may know what it is like to experience deep joy and pleasure in your body. We are people that hold and experience so much. And this season, we will hold these stories, hold these bodies, and celebrate the movement of the spirit through us in the world. Today's episode is about bodies and grief. I mentioned last episode when we discussed bodies and lament that talking about lament is hard for me. So is talking about grief. Maybe y'all can relate. But I'm learning that telling the truth about how I am feeling and how my body is grieving is important and so necessary, especially when done in and with communities in ways that move towards and facilitate healing. A book I've read and am rereading is called My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies by Resma Menicum. In this book, he says this, which has stuck with me, quote, in today's America, we tend to think of healing as something binary. Either we're broken or we're healed from that brokenness, but that's not how healing operates. And it's almost never how human growth works. More often, healing and growth take place on a continuum with innumerable points between utter brokenness and total health, end quote. Ugh. I needed that reminder. Maybe y'all do too. Learning about healing and increasing our capacity to facilitate mutual care in community is important. And we need each other. We need our bodies. We need allies. We need mental health professionals, faith communities, and trusted, beloved friends to speak into our lives, to help us hold the grief, to help us name it and identify it, to help us tell the truth about it. Today, I invited my friend Erica Littlewolf to discuss with me her experiences of holding grief. Erica is Northern Cheyenne from southeastern Montana. She attended college at Black Hills State University in Spearfish, South Dakota, and double majored in psychology and Native American studies. She currently works for Mennonite Central Committee Central States with the Indigenous Visioning Circle. Erica has had the opportunity to travel extensively around the globe, meeting with Indigenous peoples, and works to build solidarity and address oppressive patterns. She is committed to the work of decolonization, authentic relationships, historical trauma, and traditional healing methods. She applies her life experience with formal and informal education to social justice issues and how they affect indigenous people, especially women. Erica, thank you for being here today. I am so glad to know you, to call you friend, and have this important and hard conversation with you today about grief. I especially am thankful for you showing up and holding this space with me, because grief is a hard topic to talk about in general, 
and during a pandemic that has particularly impacted our communities, I am curious to discuss with you how grief has shown up for you over the pandemic and what you hope other people would know about how grief has shown up for you. Yay, thank you for having me, Bonita. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, I can't remember one of the Mennonite institutions had me write an article very early on in the pandemic about how my community was experiencing the pandemic. And at that time, it hadn't hit my community. And so um, we weren't experiencing anything abnormal, but we had already taken precautions. And so we were living in lockdown and living on curfew, um, but no one had gotten the virus. But once the virus had hit, it hit big. And so mm -hmm. the deaths just came. And I just remember the phone. I hated listening and hearing the phone ring because that's how I would get the news. And on some days it would be one person some days it would be three people sometimes in a week it would be five people and we're just about four thousand people on the reservation and if you can imagine i don't know how to describe living in a tribe for people that aren't used to living in a tribe but we are people that have the same origin story yeah. Um, we have the same creation story. We have gone through the same genocide, the mm -hmm. same massacres. Our families have known each other since we were created, since time immemorial and lived on the same pieces of land. And so every time someone dies, we know that person or we know their grandparent or we know someone in their family. And so it was always this sentiment of their grief is my grief. Mm -hmm. And when it started hitting, I could fully conceptualize that someone died and I would grieve like an individual death. But as the numbers started accumulating, I couldn't grieve that way anymore. They, it, it's like, it just became too huge and too grief. yes communal grief total communal grief and we couldn't grieve how we normally grieve um because people then at that point in time we weren't quite understanding how the virus transferred because everything was in english and it was communicated badly mm -hmm. um and so then we realized people were getting it from funerals and so then it became okay then we need to figure out how to do funerals differently and so then we had to change that and so it changed our grieving um, but I think how it has specifically shown up for me and I'm surprised because I think as Indigenous people as an Indigenous person uh, we know grief uh, but I was, yes, and I think the way that I was surprised is when I went um, 
and I'm big into going to counseling is when I went to counseling, I realized um, my counselor didn't understand necessarily um, or maybe had the brain knowledge, but not the lived experience of a community that had experienced pandemic before on this land for one um, and a community that had lived through multiple genocides, attempted genocides, still living through genocide. And then you add a pandemic that feels yes. like a genocide. Mm -hmm. And so it brings on a particular set of, of griefs. Like, so each death felt like a library was dying. It brings mm -hmm. about not just the death of that person, but then another traditional speaker. So our language is dying too. Um, it brings about the death of our elders dying and a piece of our culture dying. And so it's not just a person, it's a culture dying too. Um, and so I was surprised at how much that brought up for me, like mm -hmm. the historical piece. And then also I was surprised at how much it was showing up in my body. Mm -hmm. um, I think I don't even really actually technically know, but I think I lost 20 or 25 pounds um, just from grief. Um, and I'm always one of those. Uh, I think I self-diagnosed myself. A, I always want to say hydrochondriac, but that's like water chondriac. So then I'm like hypo. And then I'm like, no, I think that's an underchondriac. So then I'm like a <laughs> hyperchondriac. So I don't know which one it is, but a chondriac. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was always I started diagnosing myself like I think I have this I think I have this and then at the end of it I realized nah girl you're just grieving yeah. like I did not know grief could show up in my body in so many different ways I did not know grief could take my appetite I didn't know it could um, make me not sleep well. I didn't know it could even flip it and make me want to sleep a lot um, because I wasn't necessarily experiencing depression either. Yeah. It was just grief. Um, I think, and then the other thing I would say is um, I, I think in looking at dominant society, I was trying to get away from um, what I was seeing was almost like this weaponizing of death mm -hmm. um, and I can't understand it like I'm like why are we weaponizing death you know I, I didn't see it weaponized in my community necessarily but um, in the public um, and so then I'm I'm not it's not jiving with what I understand um, of Christianity of, of people like ah oh, you know we're just temporary on this earth but then we weaponize death like you're gonna go to hell but then so what's the point of Christianity right so right. I'm not fusing all these things together and and I think especially during pandemic I've really seen death um weaponized um yeah so yeah I think I think that's what I would have to say to that question Erica thank you for such personal, vulnerable answers. I'm really struck by the way you're, like when you're talking about how you're experiencing grief, one, in a world that wasn't meant for native grief, talking about how you are 
when people are dying in your community, these are libraries. These are when you're going for the mental health professionals, which I also am a huge proponent of. But when you're going to mental health professionals who don't have experience and don't have the lived experience of recognizing grief from your perspective and with your communities, because we know that mental health professionals, often that's the colonized way of providing information or resources or tools to communities who have been doing and building resilience. Um, and so I'm struck by you naming that so explicitly. I'm also struck by the fact that you're talking about how we as communities and you as an indigenous woman experience grief on a molecular level. It's in your body, it's a cellular level. And that's really, really striking to me about how when you said you're losing weight, you're not sleeping. Sometimes you wanna to sleep too much. Um, naming those pieces of how grief is showing up and giving your body permission giving your body permission to grieve in the way that it needs to grieve. No one else gives your body that permission, but you give your body that permission. And that is both incredible and also deeply heartbreaking to me when you're talking about, I'm, we need these resources, we need each other to grieve. And also recognizing that we are grieving in a world that wasn't made for your grief. And that's, right. That's, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for naming that. Um, my next question for you is this, and you spoke a little bit about it, but I'm curious if there's anything else you wanna to add to it. What are two or three things you have learned about grief during the pandemic? I know that you talked about you were surprised the way it shows up in your body and you were surprised about the way in which it was weaponized, but there anything specific that you're learning about owning or um, asking for what you need or giving yourself permission about grief? Um, I think one of the things that I've learned and learned to appreciate is grief is a good and a hard teacher. Mm. Um, and I think say that, that again. <laughs> yeah, say it again. Yes. And I think that would be one thing is trying to see the entire picture and to not be a victim of it right mm. um and I think that's always been my narrative is to be a victim of everything you know mm -hmm. and so for me I'm trying to see it more as a teacher and what do I want to get out of the learning or what is it teaching me that maybe I don't necessarily want to get out of it um and it was interesting I had this experience um you know living rurally it's like I lived in the city away from the res for maybe about 20 years. And I think you get removed from these everyday life cycles. But I moved back to my home community um, right when the pandemic hit, right before it hit. And I had this experience where a coyote had eaten one of our cats and I had went and to see like, oh, what cat was it, you know? And while I was looking at the cat, I remembered witnessing these things growing up that, you know, life and death, life and death, you know, like yeah. these, these, these cycles. And what I noticed was I was like, you know, death isn't the absence of life. Like mm. I could in this, this animal who was dead, I could still see life there. And I remembered 
seeing that growing up and not being afraid of it or anything like that. And so it was interesting to have experienced that before the pandemic. And then one of my good friends um, reminded me, she was like, you know, Erica, she's like, um, death and life are not opposite. She's like, death is like actually the opposite of birth. And so why do we keep thinking that, right? Because, mm-hmm. and then it fit with what I had experienced that that, that life continues still yeah. Yeah. onto the other side. And so some of the joy I've experienced through pandemic is actually reconnecting with what I like to do, which is the paranormal world, you know? And <laughs> I know that scares the heck out of you, but you know that something as an indigenous person that I'm very comfortable with Um, and I think I've hit it for a long time you know like you know who you can talk to about this and you know who you can (laughs) now that it's the pandemic I'm like "Mm, I don't know that I really care who I can't talk to about I'm just gonna do this you know Mm -hmm. um land on wisdom with the, the the fact that life is still continuing I love that yes and I think that's what that reminds me of the paranormal world Mm -hmm. too, is that continuation of life. And I think I was reading this one book also that talks about, um, you know, coming to terms with grief and all these different ways that we grieve different things, not only death, but like change in relationships or like Mm -hmm. the ending of jobs. And, and that the one thing that we come to terms with is, is as humans is that, we need to come to terms with like everything dies. And I literally read that sentence and I had to put the book away because I cried for forever because then what came after that in that book was, but we need the courage to love again because in mm-hmm. order to grieve something means that we have loved it, right? And, yeah. and I was like, oh, geez, but all that effort we put back in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but then what I was thinking also was that, Um, in that thought process for me was that everything dies is also the beauty that everything was created. Um, Mm. That intentionality of creation. um, And I wouldn't want to remove creation, even though it, it passes, passes Mm -hmm. on. Um, And I think um, another thing that sticks out for me um, is, uh, I think I have a tendency to sit in grief too long. Um, it just my personality, maybe. Um, I feel that I'm the so way. Like, and I'm just, yeah. And so I had someone, one of my good friends, and then someone um, I don't know very well, you know, my good friend was like, Erica, but you can't always grieve, you know, like you can't always just be sad. And, encouraging me that if the joy comes like let there be joy too and and then another newer friend saying but you also have to grieve and so having these two narratives like realizing I need there needs to be balance in that Mm -hmm. and I think for me um, I struggle with the English understanding of balance because it seems you know like this balance where it feels like it's so stagnant uh it, it, it 
comes across as like, once you figure it out, then you figured it out or like balance comes without movement. But I always think of, you know, those crazy things where they called like boppets or whatever from oh, yeah. the 80s, where <laughs> yep. it looked like Saturn, you know, yeah. like the ball in the middle with the thing on the outside that you yep. stand on. And as much as you got it balanced, you were still wobbling. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's balance. Like you're always still got that twinge of movement. And to me, that's not explained in the English word for balance like so there's still movement there and that's what I want I want that complicated complex balance yeah Um, and so for me I think that's what I'm I'm seeking out and also like this um this feeling of of this grief this time around that I'm I'm living in my home community that deep down inside it's like I'm grounded I'm, I'm literally living on my homeland. So it's like, yeah, I know who I am, but for this time being, I don't know where I fit. Mm. And it's because I've lost so many significant people in my community, in my extended family, in my immediate family that I relied on, that I didn't know that the more I reflect on, they held space for me. Um, And I didn't realize they were holding space for me. Um, And now I realize my role has changed that I'm probably a space holder now in a different way. But until I'm able to be back in a big community until we're all able to gather, I don't know what my role is. And it feels very it feels like I want to stop like I want I want my world to stop until Mm -hmm. I figure this out um because I feel discomfort on a uh, on a level I've never felt um it doesn't feel good to say that you don't know your role it 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 seems so undesirable you know Mm -hmm. like oh my god homegirl don't know what's up you know but I think um, it's real. And I don't know when I will know. Um, but I'm open to the, I'm open. I'm open to when it comes to know. I'm open to the steps that help me to know. Um, I'm, I'm freaked out. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm freaked out to know, um, because some of the, pre-feelings I have is like I I think I'm older than what I think I am am I ready did I listen enough did I like do I have the skill sets like you know the elders seem so polished and I'm just like don't feel like I'm clunky Mm -hmm. and so I'm just like I don't know you know that overwhelming feeling and so and naming that is so vulnerable and scary. Yeah. And yet it feels good to name it. Yeah. Right? And we yeah. have to name it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not so, knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I guess. Yeah. I think that's how mm-hmm. I would answer your question. Thank you. Um, my last question aligns with it. Uh, 
what are two or three ways you are learning to honor the way in which you grieve? I think, um, I've really, I think my personality, I've always been, um, I've always been, um, combative with time (laughs) time are always duking it out like um and I feel like I've not oh I'll just say it I haven't always been a patient person but (laughs) just go for it (laughs) various processes you know like I think I've had to become more comfortable with time and to see time as a real healer And so I would tend to say time heals, but then I started thinking, nah, time don't just heal. Like there's like intentionality, like there's gotta be that intentionality because time on its own ain't just gonna heal. Like you could Mm -hmm. actually get worse. And so I think that's what I'm learning to honor is like that mixture of time and my intentionality to my own healing. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard because I'm used to supporting friends and who are also experiencing large amounts of grief, but also just realizing like, it's been a year since I promised friends I would mail them stuff. And literally the boxes are sitting right where I can see them right now. And I haven't done it. And Mm, nope today still don't have the energy to do it and so still not the day (laughs) yeah still not the day and tomorrow probably not the day either because it's Saturday so (laughs) on a holiday weekend so Monday (laughs) so that crosses out Saturday Sunday Monday you know and then Tuesday is going to feel like a Monday so that's probably a no-go too and so yeah, just feeling, you know, and just letting myself because I do still experience guilt. And so mm-hmm. just trying to let go of that guilt a little quicker, you know, like just to be like, Erica, come on now, like you're in a pandemic, like, yeah, why are you trying to act like you're not, you know, like, give yourself a dose of reality. And so I think that's one way. And then also just realizing, um, I don't need to be fixed. Yeah. Like, yo girl like quit trying to fix yourself like and I don't need to be healed in the sense that there's something wrong with me I'm Mm -hmm. always pursuing healing um and so I think also what it has done for me is been able to reveal more of like that just hit my soul I was little I was a little waiting for it it just took a minute but that just hit my soul. I'm always pursuing healing, but I don't need to be healed. I love it. That really yeah. spoke to me. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> We're, we need that t-shirt. Yes. We will We will twin with that t-shirt and our beanies. And I think just realizing because what the pandemic has also done is let me be like, hey, y'all, I got epilepsy. And it's not take a pill and you're better. No, it's a management. And I think people with with um, no knowledge of that would be like, oh, we need to fix her. And so I think part of that is also, nah, there ain't nothing wrong with me. 
you know, and within the epilepsy community, I'm normal. And so there's always a space in which we can be normal if people strive for normalcy. Um, Yeah. And so I think the other thing, um, the honor in which, uh, honor the ways in which I grieve is also to be a little bit uh, angry um, and to allow myself to be angry because I'm a little bit angry at myself that I don't, I did not honor the healing that my community has done. Mm. I think, and I didn't know that until pandemic and that like, whoa, my tribe has made it through the Sand Creek massacre, the Fort Robinson outbreak, um, going from being like sovereign people to being put on reservations to our food sources being killed to being put in boarding schools and I always thought we could be doing more no they did a lot like and that healing paid off in me Mm. and I think it was Mm -hmm. as much as we thought we were coming upon this healing model we were still always functioning from a deficit model which I think is so colonial because we didn't know that but now I think living through our own pandemic we know that heck yeah our ancestors healed they healed 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 because without that I don't think we would be here Mm -hmm. because that sadness will kill you yeah and so for me I think it's acknowledging that I didn't give enough credit and also realizing the other anger I have is I'm angry that Indigenous people, that BIPOC people, that we have to be so resilient. Yes. That word, I'm angry at that word. I'm angry at that concept mm-hmm. because that should be. Yeah, and la- the weaponization of that concept. Yes, like that should be a last ditch effort. Mm-hmm last ditch effort for any human being is that you have to be resilient or any being Mm -hmm. is that you have to be resilient yeah and the fact that it's our first go-to yeah is that we are resilient just makes me angry Mm -hmm. because i don't ever see that in the white community is never framed as being resilient or anything like that and to me that points to some kind of structural inequity you know there's something going on there structurally when you got a group of people that never has to use the word resilient Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or never has to be resilient or is never expected to be resilient. Yeah. Yeah. As a front frontline mm-hmm. defense, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh no, we don't need to accommodate you. Y'all just resilient. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But wow. yeah, I would say that's a little bit of, of what I'm learning. Um, and I guess maybe just overall, just being a little more present with myself. I, I'm realizing a lot of my grief exists in memories of the past and, and, and things that I had wanted in the future. Mm -hmm. And 
trying to re think of if in, in the very present, can my grief exist? And I don't know, because for me, it very much exists in the past and in the future. Mm. And so can it exist in the present? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, I think that's what I would have. No, those, Erica, as you're seeing, I just want to like take notes. You are just wisdom dropping this entire time. <laughs> I am so thankful for what you've shared today. Um, and so powerful. Um, I also wanted to really just highlight some things that stuck out to me with your like unapologetic desire to articulate. We need to reframe our concepts of productivity and include that grief and rest are central to how our body recovers and resets and is central to our healing process. When you were talking about the ways in which you are honoring and giving your body permission, I'm just sitting here and I am just steeping in that wisdom and steeping in the permission to allow my body to do the things that it needs and to grieve in the ways that it does and to not have to justify the way it's grieving, not have to justify when I'm tired or when I need rest and to just give myself that permission. And I'm so thankful for you highlighting that and for doing it unapologetically because we don't see models of that. We don't hear people talking bravely and boldly about giving to ourselves those permissions. And I just needed that heard again. So I thank you for articulating that. I also wanted to say that it is so important um, to just name and identify clearly for our listeners um, how the complexity of being Indigenous and Black women only compounds and complicates the grief that we hold. And you said so many beautiful things about the way resilience is weaponized against our communities. Erica, I am holding you and your story today. The nugget you shared about life still continuing, birth still happening, the intentionality around everything that was created, and the truth that we can hold the hard things and the joyful things, and that there is movement and balance is so powerful. Today, we are holding the pain and trauma that we carry and name, and holding the things we cannot yet name. We are holding this space, remembering why we must do this work why we must hold this space, why we must show up with our bodies and our truths, because we know that we need each other to hold all of it with us together. Y'all, this episode was produced by me, Benita Croyle, with editing help from Alex Woodring and music by my dear friend, Red Fajan Titi Halawa. Holding It Together is a joint production of Women in Leadership and MCUSA. Look for us on our Facebook page, on the MCUSA website, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast streaming site. I'm your host, Benita Croyle. Thanks for listening, y'all, and catch you next month on the flip side.